Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. I am Ben. That's our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Joined, as always, with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Noel Brown. I don't know why, dude. For some reason, your energy today is very like, like, like I'm prepping for a fight. And then if you guys, you guys can't see me because we're podcasting, but I'm wearing, I got a hood on. I got my dukes up. When I joined the call already in progress with you and Max, you were talking about training some yeah. sort of dog or something for a dog fight. But then I realized you were just talking about. Uh, Google Drive. Um, it was very misleading conversation to come into kind of halfway, but gotta get robust there, Noel. It gotta get <laughs> yeah. robust. Well, he, said, we, uh, he said something about robust and more drive, and I was right, like, yeah, right. he's talking about like training a, a, a fighting dog or something. Well, but no, yeah, he was also giving me some uh, some personal counseling. That's what we do sometimes off air. I appreciate it's it. True, uh, but just to be clear, to get in front of the emails. We at Ridiculous History do not condone dog fighting. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> so, so I was shocked, frankly. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. So and then uh, I was set straight. So we we are talking about something shocking though today. This is this is a crazy story. Man, okay. So we are recording on the same continent, uh, North America. That's where the three of us routinely hang out. And uh, we have listeners on continents across the world, except for Antarctica. If you are listening to this podcast in Antarctica, whoo, buddy, we can't wait to hear from you. But today we're talking about continents, right? We're talking about ambition, I would say audacity, and just to be honest, a little bit of racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a, a smattering, a, a sort of a salt bay sprinkling of racism. Because we're talking about the idea of creating a supercontinent in the 1930s. A German architect, engineer, polymath, pretty genius fellow named Hermann Surgel. 
he came up with quite the plan that he thought would unite post-World War I Europe, which was in desperate need of uniting. Uh, in order to do this, he wanted to accomplish a feat of engineering mad scientistry um, by draining the Mediterranean Sea, not fully, but like a, yeah. a good a good amount. Um, Let's not go and, crazy, he said. Exactly. Yeah, no, that would be insane, draining it fully. But he wanted to lower it as much, lower the water level by as much as 650 feet in order to create a brand new supercontinent called Atlantropa. Mm-hmm. Atlantropa. He, Can we, he we have like a reverb or something on that? I hope I hope that was just like yeah, uh, understood, get, Max. We got you're, the you're, thumbs yeah. and then we got the surf sign from Max or the devil horn. So we got, oh, Max, you were killing it with the gestures today. Okay. All right. Well, Southern Italian speaking with your hands there. I appreciate it. So, yes, Herman talks about this idea. You can tell it's been on his mind for a while. He first goes public with it in print in a book in 1929 called The Atlantropa Project. And this plan is also pitched as having numerous advantages. He says it won't just culturally kind of unify the disparate cultures of World War I Europe. It will also generate a lot of hydroelectricity. It'll create some primo new coastline that is arable so you can grow stuff on it and you can create new communities. There's more opportunity for farming, for colonization. This, like this idea depended on a couple of things, including some very ambitious dams, like the a 21 mile long dam at the Strait of Gibraltar that would be able to power at least 8.2 million homes from hydroelectricity. And this would also link Europe and Africa, but maybe not in a way that was super advantageous to the African continent. As we're going to find, he didn't worry too much about that uh, in, in his work. He was focused more on Europe and the Mediterranean. But I've got to ask at this point, like if someone just said that, if you just encountered someone randomly and you were trying to solve a problem together and this person said, maybe we should just make a new continent, how would you react? I would assume they were joking. You know what I mean? Like if I heard the current president of the U.S. say, all right, in these are divisive times, a lot of people are falling into tribalism, and that's why we're going to make a a new North America. It's we're just gonna we're gonna dam up everything from here to Greenland. How would you react? It's sort of like uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That's not even the right um, metaphor. It's like going around your ass to get to your elbow. Uh, it just seems like a really big swing solution um, that's, that could potentially create more problems. Yeah, it, you know, it reminds me of, and we're all big, big fans of music here on the show, folks. It reminds me of some really technically impressive but long guitar solos I've heard that get to the point where they're just their own thing separate from the song they're supposed to be a part of. There's a moment with some of those guitar solos where it sounds like the musician just said, I wonder if I can do this, not mm -hmm. is it good for the song? And right. Yeah, we're going to see. We're going to see with Sorgal whether he um, was this a, his, like his long guitar solo? Was this like a thing where he thought, well, I bet we could do it. So why not? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the guy was like, um, you know, he came from the Bauhaus School of Architecture. He was born in 1885. 
he was a very well-known dude. And to him, I mean, this almost was like an opportunity to really flex and show his stuff and get like state sponsorship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling that, you know, on the one hand, he was probably looking at it from a benevolent standpoint and from like a nationalistic standpoint. But on the other hand, he was just looking at it as an opportunity to do a big art project. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he had a, a certitude about the future he was pretty convinced that given his learning on culture and space and geopolitics, uh, there was going to be an inevitable course of action internationally. He believed that three global superpowers would arise, kind of like uh, the world of 1984, honestly, uh, where there would be one superpower that's the North and South American continents, another that would be what he called a Pan-Asian bloc, and then there would be Europe, the third superpower, and he thought this would be a problem because Europe would be the weakest of these three powers. He ended up being Can't wrong. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he lived through World War One. He saw the chaos of the 1920s. He witnessed the rise of the Nazi movement. And he said, you know what? The only way we can avoid a second world war is if we find a radical solution fast to problems like chronic unemployment and overpopulation and an impending energy crisis. And he also said he was a technocrat at heart. He said, you know, forget politics. That's for the birds and the badgers and the buzzards. Technology is going to save us. So why did he pick the Mediterranean, though? Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. 
That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it's because, well, first of all, like you said, he kind of based a lot of his thinking around this on the notion that energy was going to be the most important commodity uh, around, you know, in the future. I mean, obviously, this is something that we now understand incredibly palpably, along with things like water. But he, this was not really a time where that was quite as much part of the conversation. I mean, this was even before uh, Saudi oil uh, was a thing. I think um, as, as uh, an article in the conversation.com uh, reports in their article, Atlantropa, the colossal 1920s plan to dam the Mediterranean. Um, this was like decades before um, Saudi oil kind of came into the picture. But uh, this guy was was pretty prescient in his thinking. Uh, that article, by the way, is by Ricarda Vidal. Highly recommend giving that one a look. But back to water, right? Not necessarily water as a perceived scarcity issue, but water as a means of generating power, which is also very forward thinking. He saw that the significant flow of water into the Mediterranean through the Strait of Gibraltar, of course, coming in from the Atlantic, um, and the Dardanelles, which was coming in from the Black Sea, was potentially a source for generating massive amounts of hydroelectric power, uh, not to mention that it was consistent. The water level of the Mediterranean always stayed the same because of evaporation. So his whole idea to dam the Mediterranean uh, on both ends and using this reduced inflow of water that this would create to generate uh, up to 110,000 megawatts of hydroelectric energy in total uh, through these various damming uh, locations. And in the process of doing this, this would kind of be like the, the end game would create a new piece of land, a new supercontinent. And then he believed this could be used for future colonization, but also would connect Europe to Africa, uh, making it a supercontinent, kind of like a feat of human engineering, a marvel to behold. Um, initially, the project or the, you know, the supercontinent was going to be called Panropa, um, mm -hmm. was later changed to Atlantropa, I imagine, because of the, uh, I'm assuming maybe in some small ways, devoted to the idea of this very advanced society of Atlantis, you know, like under the sea. Mm -hmm. Or the Atlantic Ocean. And let mm -hmm. me make a quick uh, clarification here. So he he had two books. Uh, and originally I had said that the Atlantropa project is uh, his 1929 book, but that came out three years later. In 1929, the book he wrote was the Panropa Project, that original name you mentioned. Uh, the full title is The Panropa Project, Lowering the Mediterranean, Irrigating the Sahara. And uh, and so he went with the Lantropa because of branding. It was very much a branding decision. He was trying to sell this to people, you know. Um, he also started, he added stuff to this. Over the course of his lifetime, you can see revised versions of the proposal that include things like a plan to create a bunch of giant lakes in Central Africa. And 
he believed in hydroelectricity because his father had pioneered it in Bavaria. Also, a shout out to Big Think, Damming the Mediterranean, the Atlantropa Project by Frank Jacobs. So if you just look at the problems he's trying to address, energy independence from, or more energy at least, from the hydroelectric dams, more land to address overpopulation and grow food, uh, and more jobs, because you've got people building these massive dams, then it seems like, you know, his heart's in the right place. Put diplomatically, it's an out-of-the-box creative solution. Now, a lot of astute, ridiculous historians in the crowd today are saying, hang on, I've been to the Mediterranean. There's still a lot of water there. Yes, yeah. But before we tell you how all this went down, maybe Noel we can talk in a little bit more detail about what the plan actually entails. Because you you described it so beautifully, this kind of bookending with dams, uh, one across Strait of Gibraltar, and then you said the Dardanelles, and then eventually he would have a dam between Sicily and Tunisia, and all of these would have these hydroelectric power plants. And that would be the basis of this new continent, right? And it's a supercontinent because it's just adding more to Europe, correct? Yeah, exactly. And he had like tons of drawings and schematics and, you know, planning for all of this that is uh, preserved in a museum in Munich. Um, mm-hmm. I, we'll get to the name in a little bit. It escapes me at the moment. But his plan was super elaborate. I mean... The idea was to create a 35-kilometer-long dam in the Straits of Gibraltar uh, and cut off the water supply from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean. Um, Cabinetmagazine.org has a great kind of blow-by-blow of how this whole thing uh, was done, Uh, and it it, it immediately compares it to something from uh, Gene Roddenberry's 1979 book version of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're, you're already getting these kind of utopian kind of like, you know, future civilization kind of vibes. This dude definitely had that sort of imagination. So uh, he would cut off the water supply from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean, and then uh, conceptually or theoretically, the sea would dry up, uh, not completely, like we said, but the water level would be reduced by around 200 meters, and this, in theory, would open up around 600,000 square kilometers of new land and enable them to harness uh, this body of water and its movement for hydroelectric power. And, you know, it's funny, Ben, again, this wasn't necessarily... Yes, they needed energy, of course, and they were in a post-war situation, but I don't think the energy crisis was what we would maybe think of it as today, right? Like, the, the, in, in terms of, like, how it occupied the zeitgeist. This is more oh, him yeah. just kind of, like, trying to dig themselves out of the things that come along with the post-war kind of rebuilding, but it certainly wouldn't have been something on the minds of, like, the world. Like, oh, no, we're, we're not going to have enough energy. I I think it's fair to say that while people are aware of it, a lot of people who were just living at the ground level of society, like your normal everyday Sadies and Svens or whatever, they were worried about having power in their community. And they maybe weren't thinking about the global bigger picture, uh, but he he certainly was. And there's something interesting about the timing here, too, because infrastructure had just been wrecked. You know, maybe this is the right time. His reasoning went to build something new instead of just rebuilding the old stuff. Now we have to take a turn for a bit of a darker explanation as we look at at what his plan is doing in North Africa and southern Spain. Uh, You can, by the way, if you're listening along at home, 
pull up some of those articles we've mentioned or just type Atlantropa Project Map and you can see some great maps that'll help outline where he sees these dams going. Here's the problem. Here's the dark side. So Sorgul was a man of his time, even though he felt like he was a man ahead of his time, and that might be true in some ways, he was very much a European colonialist. And he didn't particularly think of what the people living in Africa would think of this plan. As a matter of fact, one of the things he spun as a benefit to people when he's trying to get them on board is he said, look, we can also have two dams across the Congo River, creating a Chad and Congo Sea, and this will have a, a good influence on the African climate. It'll be more pleasant for European settlers. Uh, he didn't exactly hold meetings with people who lived in those areas at all. He just sort of thought this will help us continue our resource extraction heist. <laughs> and... uh and he did, oh, he did notice something cool. And Max thought of you with this part. Uh, he wanted to build a continuous train connection between Africa and Europe, which would be cool. All right, we got the Max nod. Thank you. Uh, I, I love it. We all love traveling by train. His advantage, and this is nasty. These are not, this is not us speaking, folks. This is a verbatim quote from him. He especially when he's talking about turning the Congo Basin into an enormous dammed up sea. He said, Africa, Are we up to the smattering of uh, racism here? Is that the part of the story <laughs> right, we arrived right, at? Right, right. Okay, cool, 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 uh, cool, cool. Yeah, we've been there for a few minutes. Yeah, he said Africa would be turned into, quote, a territory actually useful for Europe. Boo. Oh, thank Do goodness. Do us indeed. Do us make a fog and nicht gesagt. I think it means you asked me uh, a question and I did not answer. But when they say it the way they say it in that song, it just sounds so intense. But the lyrics are actually uh, pretty vanilla. Uh, no, it's true. He there was a sentiment, I think, you know, uh, of Africa as being a useless continent uh, and its inhabitants being sort of like you know, unlearned and dare we say again, speaking to the sentiment of the time, subhuman in some way. Uh, it was pretty widely held. So the idea was that he would uh, use some kind of, you know, form, twisted form of Darwinism, social Darwinism um, and colonialism to connect Europe to that territory in the hopes that maybe they would be able to um, convert the inhabitants of that land to their way of thinking and thus rendering them useful in some way. Who doesn't love a white savior, right, bros? That's, that's where he's going with this. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. He did say something that a lot of other, um, a, a lot of other luminaries in geopolitics have said before, which is, he said the fight for survival is a fight for territory. And that's something that we see play out in the world today. As a matter of fact, we also see the damages that large-scale dams can have on the world today. Like the Three Gorges Dam in China displaced a ton of people who were not really allowed to object, you know. And uh, I recently heard a, uh, a kind of depressing report on BBC World Service or World News Podcast uh, where they talked about how hydroelectric dams may be spelling the end for jaguars and wild tigers. So hydroelectric dams, yeah, they're better than a coal mine, but they still, they still have their drawbacks. He's not worried about any of this. He's not asking the populations of... Uh, in, in the parts of Africa that will be affected by this because he doesn't care. Uh, instead, he thinks this will be a new kind of counterweight to the future power of a united uh, North and South American continent and the united Asian continent. And so this is his way of kind of putting some gas into Europe's future standing. So let's pause for a sec, though, because there are a lot of ifs there, right? Like he's he's already he's basing his idea on his theory about these three great superpowers, which has not been proven and didn't come to pass. Right. So, so I mean, I started off to describing Sorgal as being this like concept over function kind of guy. I mean, I, I think I maybe mischaracterized him a little bit. He was incredibly ideological. And, and, and this move, you know, was as much a show of his like engineering and kind of artistic genius. And, and um, you know, uh, as it was a way to, in his mind, move some pretty serious geopolitical pieces. Right. And, and set uh, Europe up for success uh, post World War One. He wrote down all of his thoughts um, and, and these drawings uh, in what became around a thousand individualized publications uh, that comprised four Atlantropa books. Um, and there is actually 
an entire special collection in the archive of the Deutsche Museum in Munich. That was what I was alluding to earlier. So you can actually check this out for yourself. And he was a big fan of the work of another uh, kind of dour European gentleman by the name of uh, Spangler, right? But not Egon. Which which Spangler are we talking about? Yeah, Oswald Spangler. The guy who's famously fun at parties uh, for things like his two-volume work, the decline of the vest. Uh, he, he, uh, the vest? He, has, he didn't like a vest? He was he anti- didn't like vest, and he also didn't like the West. Uh, the oh, first volume is about the first volume is about vest that you would wear in suits, and the second volume takes that analogy to geopolitics. It makes a kind of sense if you read it. It's also all entirely an iambic pentameter rhyming verse. Folks, you're going to have to read the book to see which part of this is true. Not not all of it is. But the point of Spengler is that he believed that all cultures were super organisms and they had a cyclical, predictable lifespan. We talked about stuff like this a little bit on stuff they don't want you to know. Do empires have an expiration date? And he had predicted way back in like 1922, 1918 or so, that Western civilization would enter its death throes in the year 2000. And then by 2200, Western civilization, as he knew it, would collapse. So that's where, that's kind of a a bleak outlook, right? And that really informs a lot of where Sorgal is coming from. We've got to save the, the European culture, basically, at that point. That's what he's thinking of. Well, and we've been talking about this all along, but I mean, again, this is about digging Europe out of this post-war malaise, which included things like massive uh, unemployment levels, poverty, and uh, the treatment of Europe as sort of a pariah by other world superpowers, right? I mean, understandably so. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, Europe was looking rough. After World War One, and that's a very polite way to put it. Uh, the chaos was widespread, massive casualties, all the problems you just mentioned, uh, the shadow of poverty looming ever larger on the horizon. And one interesting note about Sorkel, despite his racist attitudes, the dude was a pacifist, and he thought that building Atlantis would guide the European continent toward a, a brighter, a brighter kind of post-scarcity future. That Star Trek analogy is not too far off because in the original Star Trek, poverty has been to a great degree eliminated in the Federation space, at least, and people aren't going hungry. He wanted to build this kind of thing, which is a, a noble thought, but the big deal with him was not just helping people get jobs, helping people get food, giving people energy. He wanted to make the countries of Europe increasingly inter- interdependent upon one another. So you wouldn't be like you if you were Austria-Hungary, you would be so much less likely to start a war with France because you are trading partners now. You're in deep yep. with each other. So what hurts them hurts you. And there is a logic to that, but maybe not as sound well, a logic as he assumed. It's similar to maybe where we are with China, say, right now. Only maybe it almost seems like the pendulum has swung a little more in China's favor than even ours, right? Yeah, right now it's uh, right. Right now there are heated debates going on in the world of the military and in the world of academia about which which country will become the quote unquote 
global superpower. But there are a lot of that's maybe um, an episode for the future. But there are a lot of factors I would argue people aren't considering. You know, the totally. one child policy left an intergenerational consequence and uh, population rates are actually going down in a lot of uh, overall in the world for the first time in a while. Uh, so that's not the worst thing in the world though. Right. I no, mean, uh, no, especially no. given the, what we're talking about today, which is the idea of scarcity and uh, not having enough resources to feed everybody and, you know, poverty and, and starvation. Again, I'm, I'm, I don't, don't want to cast myself as some kind of eugenicist or something, but you know, there is something to be said about uh, maybe times of strife and uncertainty, maybe not the best times to have, you know, uh, a Brady bunch kind of situation. Yeah, no, I, you know me, man. You know me well. I agree with that. Uh, this also, this is attractive to him, to Sorgel, because he doesn't need to go through the realm of politics and diplomacy. Right. And these governments that he's trying to unite are very different culturally, procedurally in many ways. They don't get along. But if he can solve it with technology, then first off, think of all the meetings you get out of. You don't have to, like, kiss the dukes behind anymore. You just have to do it once to get the green light. And now, you know, there's this there's this attitude that I find inspiring. Despite all the problems with Sorgel's beliefs as a person, I love the idea that science can save us. I don't know if that's always accurate, but but it's beautiful. And this this concept sort of turning the entirety of Europe and this new supercontinent into one gigantic unified electric grid. I think that would do a lot to mitigate the problems of war. And, you know, not for nothing, he wasn't wrong. War was going to happen. It's, it's crazy that they were, they were calling it the world war at this point, but he was already thinking in terms of World War One and the sequel. Wait, whoa, wait, hold up. We've got to drain the Mediterranean of this podcast. This has to be a two-parter. Noel, Max, it it's just, there's too much. There's too much cool stuff. We thought we, could, we thought we could shove it all into one, but it was just far too grandiose and ambitious of an idea, much like the subject of today's uh, part one of a two-part episode. Mm -hmm. Yes. So tune in on Thursday to learn what became of the Atlantropa project. Thanks, as always, to the one and only Mr. Max Williams, as well as his sibling, Alex Williams, who kindly composed this banging soundtrack. It's a very kind sounding track, too. It really speaks to Alex's inner goodness. Huge thanks to Jonathan Strickland, the quizster. We're going to be seeing him darken our doorstep one of these days pretty soon. I'm nearly certain. Gabe Lugier, research associate extraordinaire. Uh, who else? Who else am I missing? Oh, yeah. Uh, Christopher Hasiotis and uh, Eve's Jeffcoats here in spirit. Mm -hmm. Yes. And... Uh Thanks to all the tireless geologists working around the world. Thanks to everybody who decided not to drain the Mediterranean Sea. And thanks to you, ridiculous historians, in advance for uh, joining us on the social meds. You can find our Facebook community page, Ridiculous Historians. But you can also find us not just as a show, but individuals. I am at Ben Bolin on Instagram. I'm at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter if you want to get a behind-the-scenes look at my various strange, ill-informed misadventures. The devil you say, Ben. You can find me having 
misadventures of a kind as well, uh, exclusively on Instagram, where I am at How Now Noel Brown. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. This episode of ridiculous history is brought to you by Avalon waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am. And, uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry. And that is my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.